Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, March 17th, 2022. On today's episode of the show, we are going to once again gather around the virtual water cooler and talk about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor, Wajran Boy. Hey, everyone. HT, happy St. Patrick's Day. Oh, happy St. Patty's Day. Yeah. <laughs> Do you celebrate? Uh, I don't really know. I'm, I am wearing a green shirt, but uh, aside from that, I, I mean, maybe I'll have a drink tonight. Who knows? Who knows how wild it'll get over here at the Pearson household? <laughs> um, do, do you celebrate, AC? I do not because it's just too much for me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's get into uh, what we've been doing, reading, watching. I haven't really been reading anything. Looks like you haven't either. Haven't been doing much of anything. Uh, So let's just jump right into what we've been watching. Um, I am glad that you're on this episode in particular, Ishii, because I finished my my long journey with the films of Hayao Miyazaki. Um, I I finally caught up. I'm kind of sad I haven't been there every step of the way because I wish I could... (laughs) talk of every movie with you, Ben. You've been there in my heart uh, as, <laughs> as I've been going along. I've, I've felt you sitting on the couch next to me. Um, in Staring spirit, intently. Watching <laughs> <laughs> yes, watching me watch the movies. Um, so yeah, the, the last two films that I caught up with were uh, Ponyo, which came out in 2008, and The Wind Rises, which came out in 2013. Uh, Ponyo, I think, is the only movie that I kind of actively didn't really like very much. Um, I don't know. for me too, yeah. Oh, really? Okay. I was I was curious because I haven't done, I mean, I literally like just finished this journey like yesterday morning, I think. So I have not done any sort of um, deep dive into like the, uh, the cultural uh, uh, footprints of any of these films. Um, so I don't know what the, the consensus such as it is might be for, anything of either any of these movies really so i was curious if uh if ponyo was one that um that i might be like out of touch on for not liking but it sounds like you share the same thought no i think it's it's pretty widely accepted i guess or like a thought that ponyo is the weakest of miyazaki's films and i tend to agree i think that it's kind of a my neighbor totoro redux Mm. uh but less uh, emotionally i don't know um impactful uh and i i think it's cute but i don't find much there 
Yeah, I think I agree with that, that, that uh, sentiment there, like the, you know, there are all these, um, th there's a lot of visuals about like this massive flood that sort of sweeps in and, and like, uh, essentially overtakes this uh, cliffside city. But like the movie doesn't really deal with that in any real way. It's more like this Little Mermaid-esque, um, you know, kind of cute story about this little goldfish who turn, turns into a, a human girl and the little relationship that she has with this five-year-old boy. And like many of Miyazaki's movies, I feel like more directly uh, address, you know, the ideas of um, climate change and environmentalism and like all of these themes that he is like really interested in. And this movie, you would think with this, this uh, huge visual of like this, you know, all of these fish and and uh, the power of the ocean and like the fact that it it really like destroys this huge, it essentially wipes out an entire town. You would think that there would be that it would be more willing to engage with like the consequences of what that means, um, but it really just sort of uh, brushes all that aside um, and just uses it as like a backdrop for this cute little um, you know like childhood love story that almost feels like something out of like a like Moonrise Kingdom or something like that, instead of, you know, one of his uh, more traditional sort of uh, environmental focused type of movies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, but yeah, like The Wind Rises, though, uh, I was like really blown away by this movie. I mean, I I, I did the bare minimum of, uh, of looking at it, meaning I read the Wikipedia page afterwards and realized that like it's partially about this, this sort of uh, biographical film about a designer of this aircraft, but it's not really about his real life. It's sort of blending all of these different stories together and elements together. So it's not like a, a, a traditional biopic in, in the, the proper sense, but um, man, just like the, the final product here is so beautiful and so simple. And, um, and so uh, like the, the idea of, of just, um, you know, the, this, this uh, designer of airplanes, um, coming to this uh, horrible realization that like the, the beauty that he finds in his work is being used for um, horrific means, like to, to drop bombs on countries basically is just um, like the, the sort of inherent tragedy of that. And then this love story that gets swept in at like the halfway point and, and really like the back, back third of the movie um, just the way that all of these uh, elements like swirl together. Uh, it just feels so powerful and it feels a lot like Miyazaki himself, like looking back on the work that he has done as a director and, and wondering if it was all worth it. And, and um, you know, I think you can draw distinctions or, or sort of parallels between like uh, the, the act of creating um, which is something that he is very interested in as a storyteller, but the act of creating these, planes and like the, how they can be weaponized and like the act of making movies and how they could be willfully misread or, or, um, you know, uh, I don't know, you know, used in, in the wrong ways or, or, um, yeah, sort of weaponized by, by the culture, um, against him. And it just sort of feels like this big sweeping statement that he's making at the end of his career. And I'm glad to see that he's coming back out of retirement once again to, to make a movie that I think is supposed to be coming out next year. So it won't be his swan song, but it definitely feels like a swan song film. What do you think about The Wind Rises? Wow, Ben, you, like, you hit the nail on the head so completely <laughs> that I don't really have anything else to say. Yeah, this was a, an immensely personal and incredibly epic and intimate film all at once for Miyazaki. He's always had a fascination with flight, with airplanes, and um, he has that same uh, relationship with his own art that the character of The Wind Rises has with his work. Um, the idea of finding 
of just wanting to create something and give it to the world and the horrifying realization that that creation is being used uh, to destroy lives or to or for just some lesser means. And this is actually something interesting that Miyazaki has spoken about um, kind of the state of the anime industry today. And his words have been taken out of context by a lot of people, but it's the, I don't know if you heard this misquote, the whole anime was a mistake quote that from Miyazaki. Yeah, I, I think so I have seen that. It was some, it was basically like kind of what he was talking about with The Wind Rises and that he was speaking about um, uh, the anime films and the animated films made today are by people who grew up on anime and they have a very insular view of what anime is and what films are. And he really dislikes that because um, he wants people, he wants these anime filmmakers to look beyond their confines and look at, you know, uh, uh, Martin Scorsese or um, uh, Orson Welles or someone and, and draw from all facts of life and not just be within that very specific anime mentality. And it's just kind of like this regurgitating of, of what they want out of anime and what they, what they um, want, what they put onto the screen in, in terms of their final product. And it's kind mm-hmm. of um, really interesting because this conversation came up recently about how the filmmakers of today grew up on, you know, superheroes and nostalgic stuff. And they're just kind of recycling that into what they are making for the big screen. And um, I I feel like that is, like The Wind Rises was very prescient in terms of just like that whole discu- discussion, this whole depth yeah. of discourse. And what Miyazaki was saying about the anime industry ended up just kind of coming to Hollywood to roost with uh, what we're going through now with our movie landscape. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I had no idea about that, but that's, that's definitely very prescient. Um, so AC, this may be like, uh, I don't know, me putting a gun to your head or something, but like, do you have a favorite <laughs> uh, Miyazaki movie? I may have asked you this once before, but now that I've seen all of them, your answer might, uh, you know, ring more true with me, or, or at least I'll have a better I mean, understanding. My answer changes every time, but I, I'm going to be, I guess very basic and say it's spirited away. It's the okay. one that uh, I saw when I was, I think in sixth grade and it's kind of the one that sparked a love in, in movies for me. And it's the one that whenever I return to, I always find something richer and more interesting and uh, more evocative every time I, I watch it. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just a, a movie that I, I, I have complete and utter adoration for. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my answer. It might be the most basic answer, but yes, it is. It is the answer. <laughs> um, I think my favorite might be Kiki's Delivery Service. Honestly, like just oh, the, uh, the I read that essay. That, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just like so. It's such a, a beautiful encapsulation of that idea. I also have a really, really um, strong fondness for the Castle of Cagliostro because yes. it's just such a fun movie and like. Uh, you know, you, you can't go wrong with a gentleman burglar uh, trope. And um, there's just such like uh, life and vitality and energy in that movie, even though it, it's really like sort of an outlier with the rest of the kind of stuff that he he's made so far mm-hmm. over the rest of his career. But um, man, I, what a journey. Uh, great stuff. And thank you to for like giving me the the kick in the pants to really, uh, you know, bear down and, and finally go on this, uh, on this journey. Cause I, I really loved it. So well, thank you for going on this journey. Cause sometimes when I'm just like, watch this, no one actually does unless I force them to go on a podcast with me. About it. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, yeah, hopefully, I mean, most of these movies, if not all, well, I think Castle of Cagliostro is still on Netflix, but all the other ones, uh, are on HBO max right now. So if you want to, uh, to jump on, on the uh, bandwagon, 
go for it. I encourage the listeners to do that because it's, there's like only one little valley in my mind and that's Ponyo. And that's like pretty much at the very end. And then the wind rises is such a peak that uh, you almost sort of forget about Ponyo in the grand scheme of things. So, um, all right, AC, what have you been watching? You've been watching a bunch of stuff because it's been a while since you've been on the podcast. It's been a while and I've watched a bunch of stuff, most of them for review on slashfilm.com. So you can check out the show notes and see the links to the full reviews and my full thoughts on them. So I'm going to try to go through and breeze through them as quick, quickly as possible. When I say that, I know I'm going to go long. <laughs> All right. First, I watched Pachinko, the new Apple TV Plus series uh, created by Su Hyu based on the novel by Min Jin Lee and directed and executive produced by Koganada and Justin Chan. And this is a, a series that I was really, really looking forward to. Um, you guys might remember from uh, previous water cooler episodes, but I adored the novel. I think it's a masterpiece, honestly, and it's such an insightful and um, unexpected view into a type of immigrant tale that you don't expect. It's, it tells the story of a young Korean woman who um, in the early 20th century immigrates to Japan and faces all sorts of oppression and persecution there. And it, it follows her and her family uh, through the years through World War II and up to the 80s. And the Pachinko series takes a really interesting and different approach in that it uh, forego, it goes does away with the straightforward chronological um, structure of the book and does a flashback, flash forward structure going back and forth between uh, the main character, uh, Sunja, and her grandson, um, Solomon. And it kind of goes back and forth between their two stories and uh, lends them both equal weight. Um, and uh, it's it becomes much more about the the second gen immigrant experience and viewing our sort of aunt, our parents and grandparents stories through that lens which i think actually has a lot of a lot to add to the whole story and i think it it is very much like the the creative team who are themselves like the, children of the diaspora uh mm -hmm. koganada justin chan su hu i think it's very much them sort of working through and bringing their own personal experiences to it and i found a lot of like something a lot to, to take from it too, having you know experienced my own parents and grandparents stories sort of half told through after lunch or during cocktails or kind of casually told and not seen the full picture so i think pachinko in that sense is actually the most accurate depiction of the second gen immigration immigrant experience and that you kind of just see pieces and fragments but even those hmm. pieces and fragments are really, really stunningly beautiful and stirring and, and just completely moving. So, I mean, it's a Koganada um, directed, half directed uh, series. So it just looks incredible. And it's one of, I think, the, even with my reservations on it, because I love the book so much, it's one of the best um, things to come out on TV um, soon. It's coming out March 25th, I think. So I, I do highly recommend it, but I also do highly recommend the book. Awesome. Yeah, I, I think I've added the book to my reading list. But uh, watching the trailer for this, I was just like, Oof, man, this looks really stunning. So I'm, I'm excited to, to check that show out. Uh, speaking of stunning animation, or, or like, Pacheco is not animated, but stunning uh, visuals, I guess. Turning Red, the new Pixar movie. What do you think about this one, HC? Loved it. I absolutely adored this movie as well. I think I'm saying adore a lot. I'm sorry. Um, I also wrote the review for this on Slash Film. You can check out my full thoughts. But uh, it's such a refreshing and visually inspired and visually exciting uh, depiction of that 
you know, coming of age experience from the point of view of a young preteen Chinese Canadian girl. And I felt extremely seen by this movie. And I feel like it, it taps into uh, depictions of female desire and female shame and embarrassment uh, that very few things show in like mainstream film. So I absolutely love this movie. So Turning Red, recommend it. Read my review. <laughs> Streaming now on Disney+. Plus. Um, Another movie I reviewed for the site is Cyrano, uh, a movie uh, that stars Peter Dinklage and is based off of the um, play, the play Cyrano de Bergerac, um, and you know substitutes the giant nose that is that maybe people might be familiar with with that story for um, Peter Dinklage's you know uh, dwarfism I think is the correct term mm -hmm. um yes and um he is incredible in this movie and this is directed by Joe Wright who lends this movie just like this really lush uh romantic grand style uh which is really really gorgeous and the music is written by The National uh which is a very unexpected choice and I think kind of makes it a very unexpected musical because the music isn't quite a traditional you know, musical in that sense. A lot of it feels very much like music by the national. Um, and so because of that, I think that the movie itself is a little uneven. I think Joe Rice's direction is gorgeous. And I think he has a really keen eye for visuals and for the musical language that a lot of directors don't have. But I think the music itself is kind of strange and a little out of place sometimes. Um, <laughs> but Peter Dinklage, oh God, why is he not leading all of our romantic films? He has that face, that face that can just like look, like yearning incarnate and he is mm -hmm. absolutely just one of I think one of my favorite uh, actors working today I think he's just incredibly talented and um the reason that Cyrano works so well one of Peter Dinklage's biggest skills as an actor he has like a, a trick that he uses a lot which is like this uh this like broken smile that's mm. like really sad but oh, also kind so of much like in oh yeah it's all over that movie it's all over like the the latter half of Game of Thrones um but man it's just so effective in this movie and like I I don't remember if I've said this on the podcast or not I've said it I know I said it to Shania who was doing a lot of the interviews for the film so forgive me if I've already said this but for me, Cyrano has like a lot of um, 90s music video energy where like <laughs> occasionally it'll just break out into song and it just feels like you're suddenly in maybe even 80s music video energy. It feels like you're in like the total eclipse of the heart <laughs> video yeah. or something where there's just like, you know, flowing uh, fabrics and like people are just like rubbing letters all over themselves. I know and exactly it's, like, what very... sequence you're talking about. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's just, it's very like, uh, like operatic or something. It's, it's mm -hmm. so, um, it's, I mean, like most musicals, when people break into song, it's like a heightened thing, right? But like, this is like, this is like Mount Olympus heightened. It goes from <laughs> just like, you know, a, a normal dramatic scene to like, you know, cranking it all the way up to 11 with that, the style of it. So, yeah. um, yeah, I enjoyed the movie a lot too. So I'm glad you liked it. Uh, another movie that I watched and recently reviewed for the site is The Outfit. This is starring Mark Rylance as an English tailor working in Chicago who finds himself caught up in a local mob um, schemes. And uh, it's basically a one-location thriller that kind of feels like it's in the shadow of better movies that have done this before. It very, it's, it's very reminiscent of 
Rope and um, a little bit of Bridge of Spies, which also start, starred Mark, Mark Rylance. Um, but uh, it's it's mostly good because Mark Rylance is, you know, incredible. <laughs> He's a superb actor. He does nothing wrong. And um, there's a lot of fun twists and turns throughout this film. But the best of, best twists are the ones that are within Mark Rylance's uh, surprisingly nuanced and quiet performance. So uh, the outfit that hits theaters tomorrow and you can read my review on Slash Film. Um, oh, a movie that I watched, and I don't know if I can go into too much detail with because it comes out next week, but Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, the new movie by Daniels uh, and starring Michelle Yeoh as a uh, sort of middle-aged woman who is, who can't, who's running like a failing laundromat and can't even get her, do her taxes right and finds herself stuck, uh, trapped or pulled into this multiversal um a mission a adventure in which she's the one who has to save the world from utter implosion and uh it's the one of the wildest movies i've ever seen uh, <laughs> uh there's so much happening in this film it's maximalist it's insane it's funny it's ribald it's heartwarming it's sweet it's everything that you kind of expect a daniel's movie to be if you've if seen if you've seen swiss army man and this is that, except like cranked to, up to 11. Um, and I I really enjoyed it. I, I think, I don't, I don't think I enjoyed it quite as much as Jacob, but it's definitely one of the most just like gonzo films that I've seen in years. Uh, so Man, I can't wait to see this. I, I'm really excited for you to see it. Um, and I actually found quite a lot of um, interesting recurring themes in both everything everywhere all at once and another movie that i saw recently after yang uh which might be might raise some of your eyebrows after yang is the new film by kokonada um honestly might be my current favorite movie of the year i was so so moved by this film moved to tears moved to laughter and i think that it's just this uh wonderfully minimalist and stark depiction of the weight that life and its memories can have on a human being and their existence and what it means to you and to other people. And it's just a, a wonderfully profound depiction of, of, um, uh, of the connections between people, which is where I found the, the, the similarities with after Yang and everything everywhere all at once, uh, except where after Yang is minimalist after, uh, everything everywhere is just incredibly maximalist. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're like on the tonal, the opposite ends of the tonal spectrum. Yeah, basically. opposite ends, but surprisingly similar in terms of their sweet approaches to uh, technology and live and living with others in society and stuff. It's it's quite fascinating how there's a. a I feel like the the filmmakers coming up today, it's even just like the Asian filmmakers, have a lot of the similar things on their minds, which I I'm enjoying seeing um, play out in very, very different ways. Um, so yeah, a lot of good movies coming out recently. Yeah. <laughs> I really recommend seeing After Yang, which is uh, released in theaters the same week as Batman uh, and really deserves your attention because it's 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 exquisite. It's just one of the best movies I've seen this year. Yeah, we're definitely going to be talking about that one like end of the year, early mm -hmm. next year in, in our, you know, if best nothing moments. else for like some of our moments list. Oh, yeah, for that, sure. That, definitely. Um, but interesting thing about After Yang is that it got me thinking about this movie that I hadn't thought about in many, many years, which is a Japanese film called 
all about Lily Shushu, uh, directed by Shunji Uwai, I think. And um, it's actually a film that's made explicitly referenced to um, by Koganada in After Yang. He has talked about it as being one of his favorite films. And in After Yang, there is a, a t-shirt of uh, for Lily Shushu like concert. And there um, is a song sung by Mitski in the credits and throughout the film, actually, that is a cover of a song from Lil- all about Lily Shushu. And Lily Shushu is a very, very dark um, movie about teenage ennui and angst. And uh, it honestly totally could not be more different than After Yang. But I feel like there's a similar, like a shared DNA between them, like that they're kind of two sides of a similar coin in that they uh, they deal with, um, I'm going to say connection a lot, but connection um, that we can, the connections that we can make some to technology, which might be an interesting to, thing to say. All About Lily Shushu is very much about that early internet age. It was, it was released in 2001 and kind of came about with that paranoia of the Y2K age, but also about the loneliness of the internet. Um, and it spoke to that in a really um, a way that really spoke to me as a teen who watched it. Um, and um, uh, after Yang kind of talks about that in a much more hopeful way. Uh, and I found that dialogue between those two films, or at least the one that I made up in my ma- mind to be very interesting. <laughs> awesome. And I wrote about that actually a little bit in my, um, in a recent daily stream about all about Lily Shushu because I revisited after watching after Yang. So um, I can link to all of these things that I just rambled on about and you can read more <laughs> my more cogent thoughts online. Yeah, definitely. Um, so it also says here that you've been uh, watching some of the Star Trek original cast movies. How far in that journey are you? Yeah, I made it to Star Trek V. Uh, uh, the Final Frontier. The Final Frontier. And um, I'm watching them for my uh, Trekking Through Time and Space Patreon. We're doing we're currently doing a series for all of the Star Trek uh, original cast movies. If you want to listen to those podcasts, please subscribe to our Patreon. And um, I won't give give too much away because uh, that you know I want to give something for our listeners on the Patreon. But um, mm-hmm. I'm really enjoying them. Good movies. <laughs> So I'm sure Jacob has told you like the, uh, I guess the, the broad consensus is that like the even numbered movies are good and the, the odd number ones are bad. Am I, has he mentioned that to you? Yes, he has. Okay. And you know what? I found something to like even in the odd number movies, except for maybe Final Frontier. <laughs> okay. I was going to say, uh, I feel like I'm one of the weirdos who actually kind of had that same thought as you, but I, I have not seen the Final Frontier probably since 2011 or something like that. But I remember actually liking even that one at the time and being like, oh man, I feel like the Final Frontier gets a bad rap, but I, I couldn't tell you why I think that now. I just remember distinctly thinking that at the time. So. I mean, it makes big swings, but it misses most of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, but oh, even man. the motion picture, which I think is kind of unfairly reviled, um, it's it's a vibe, you know? Viger. Yeah, Viger. Yeah, I was just like, yeah, you know what? This is a vibe. I'm. It's not, you know, a vibe for everyone. And honestly, sometimes it wasn't even a vibe for me because I can only take so many docking scenes, but <laughs> <laughs> it was a vibe. Yeah. So you have uh, The Undiscovered Country, which is Star Trek VI, and mm-hmm. then Star Trek The Next Gen, or I'm sorry, Star Trek Generations, which mm-hmm. is the one where the the old school crew crosses over with the Next Generation crew. Um, are you, are, is that where you're stopping for this, uh, this current series that you're working on? We're stopping our current series with Star Trek VI. So we're not going to go okay. into Generations until I think we're further into the Next Gen. 
Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, well, yeah, I'm I'm excited to hear what you think about Generations because uh, that's a movie that takes some swings and does some some interesting things too. I'm not going to spoil anything, but uh, yeah, very curious about that. It sounds like um, you guys have a have a long way to go yet, uh, but I'm, I'm excited for you uh, to be on that journey too. So uh, I'll drop a link to your um, the Patreon in in this uh, in the show notes of this episode so people can check that out if they're if they're curious because uh, we got a lot of Star Trek fans I'm sure that are, are listening to this right now. So. Um, I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's show. You can find more about the stories that we mentioned uh, at SlashFilm.com. I will link to a bunch of them in the show notes. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at SlashFilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.